So agriculture is one of the few industries in the world right now uh, that has yet to benefit from the, you know, the high tech automation that exists in so many other industries. I mean, you know, you get, you know, you get fancier tractors and bigger equipment and more horsepower, but fundamentally it's just a better mousetrap. Um, you've never, uh, you've never seen the benefits of AI and automation and, you know, robots that can come and actually do work in your field before. And so, uh, so we think it's uh, both from a economics, but also a sustainability standpoint, uh, you know, it's high time to bring the AI revolution onto the way we produce our food. Welcome to Startupville, the show where we discuss what it's like to build a tech startup and a startup ecosystem in a small city. I'm your producer, Ariel Delorier. Our host is Dan Gold, and today we're talking with Dan McCann of Precision AI. Precision AI is an artificial intelligence robotics company that focuses on solving the key food security challenges of the 21st century and beyond. Not new to the startup community, Dan transitioned from the fintech world alongside an old business partner who got their doctorate in AI looking for a new venture. Initially focused on a different sector, they switched to agriculture after discovering there was a significant gap that they needed to solve. Join us as we talk with Dan about his entrepreneurial past, how he accidentally stumbled upon the creation of Precision AI, and how this Saskatchewan startup can change the world of food security with their technology. Welcome to Startupville. Startupville is brought to you by Innovation Place and Martin Charlton Communications. Dan McCann, it's an absolute pleasure to have you here on Startupville today. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. So, Dan, let's let's kind of cover the ground as people who may not know who you are or indeed who Precision AI are. So tell me a little bit about you and the organization. You're saying everybody doesn't know who we are already? <laughs> no. Uh, Precision, AI is, uh, uh, Precision AI is an artificial intelligence and robotics company that's focused on solving the key food security challenges of the 21st century and beyond. Um, I'm the CEO and founder. I uh, started this business by accident about three years ago, and uh, it's been a wild ride ever since. So in that sense, um, where did the you know, the the inspiration for the company, the scratching the itch, the solving the need, where did that first come from? Well, it, it actually, it, uh, I've been entrepreneurial for a long time. I had a, uh, had a fintech company uh, before this one, which uh, long before fintech was cool. So there, there's timing for you, I guess. But <laughs> um, with that said, I, uh, yeah, so I've been entrepreneurial space. Uh, we did a fintech company and then uh, I had a partner who uh, used to work for me that went off and got his doctorate in artificial intelligence. And we were looking for a business to get into. And, uh, you know, we ended up starting in a totally different sector, but then kind of very quickly fell backwards into agriculture uh, using AI and, and discovered that there was a, a fairly significant problem um, that needed to be solved. So agriculture is one of the few industries in the world right now uh, that has yet to benefit from the, you know, the high tech automation that exists in so many other industries. I mean, you know, you get, you know, you get fancier tractors and bigger equipment and more horsepower, but fundamentally it's just a better mousetrap. Um, you've never uh, you've never seen the benefits of AI and automation and you know robots that can come and actually do work in your field before and so uh, so we think it's uh, both from a economics but also a sustainability standpoint uh, you know it's high time to bring the AI revolution onto the way we produce our food. Every year I hear about issues over staffing farms not being able to find the people to to work in certain roles do you think that this is something that's going to be able to free up people to work in the areas that aren't yes not aren't yet as technologically advanced 
Yeah, because um, COVID it really exposed um, the you know fragility of the supply chain, both in terms of what you're seeing today with the inability to buy an Xbox for Christmas, but uh, you know on the same time our you know our food security is is premised on uh, you know having enough manual resources and manual labor to go and, and you know harvest the food in the field, and the problem that COVID had is that it uh, you know when they, when we closed our borders, all of the uh, you know international labor that used to be imported over the summer to work on these Canadian farms couldn't get here uh, and that created a massive massive problem um, so you know you kind of had the double whammy this year of you know massive drought plus you know labor shortages and even in the best of times there's always labor shortages and this problem is going to get worse instead of better so uh, you know artificial intelligence and robotics is you know really one of those ways that uh, you know that can completely transform that game so if you've ever seen the movie interstellar um, you, you know like the farmers in that time period of that movie kind of controlled everything from a laptop and the combines were in the field and did the work themselves with no human drivers. And we think that that's kind of the way that farming is going to be, you know, for, you know, the next, until we stop eating food. <laughs> I'm hoping we carry on eating food. There's so much good food out there. I'm a food lover. Um, so back in uh, May of this year, you raised 20 million. That's great. Um, how did you go about the process of attracting this funding, and what was the structure of that? Well, um, we uh, so so twenty million dollars for a company at kind of the seed stage is hard anywhere, and it's extra hard in Saskatchewan, Canada. Um, so it was uh, you know you've got to get pretty creative about it. Now the thing about agriculture. Uh, especially ag tech is it's kind of backwards from all, all the way a lot of investors uh, think about investments. Um, you know, so if you're going to a venture capital firm as an example, you've got about a five to seven year uh, expectation for the fund to return that money to its LPs or, or partners. Um, and uh, and so you know when they traditionally make an investment, they want to see you know geometric growth right away and to know whether or not it's a good investment. Um, and so you kind of want to put in as little capital as possible up front, test the waters, and if it looks like you have something, then you double or triple down on your investment. Uh, AgTech is exactly the opposite, right? You need to raise an insane amount of capital up front because the you know you're dealing with these really expensive big machines in thousand acre fields out in the middle of nowhere, <laughs> um, and your penalty for failure is very high, right? So if you're building a website as an example and you put a bug in your code and that website crashes, you know your penalty for failure is maybe you lost a few sales. Um, you know, if you put a, an autonomous machine on a farm and that machine doesn't do the job it's supposed to do, you might ruin the whole crop and, you know, that's better luck next year, right? So, you know, the penalty for failure is extremely high. So it takes a lot of capital up front. You've got these massive testing cycles that are required to kind of hit the prove it phase, um, you know, and then very slow sales cycles on the other side. So it's, it's kind of the, the opposite. It's the anti-venture capital, but but the, the value there. Um, the value is that it's one of the few industries in the planet where the lifetime value of your customer is generational, right? So, you know, you're, you know, you've probably seen it like my dad used John Deere and his grandpa used John Deere and I'm using John Deere, right? So you've got a John Deere customer for a hundred years um, and you don't get really get that anywhere else. So it's, uh, you know, the payoff is extremely high, but the capital requirements are also extremely high. So, uh, you know, I kind of joke that $20 million sounds like an insane amount of money, but in our industry, it's it's just about right, right? It's probably equivalent to, you know, maybe four or $5 million if you're a software company. So it's, uh, that's that's kind of kind of the way it is. So yeah, I, I got some investors both domestically and United States who really believed in the vision and the opportunity that we were trying to pursue and kind of the rest is history. 
So in terms of testing, putting it out into, you know, the next stages of field tests, I love to actually use field tests properly. Um, how did, how complex is going from the modeling and the testing to actually using it out in the field? And would you have, let's say, during that testing period, you know, uh, redundancy in terms of human beings out there with it? Yeah, yeah. The the, the testing is uh, is really critical. There, there's a sort of a saying in our industry that ninety percent of startups fail because the because uh, when they quickly find out that it, that the rest of the world isn't a sunny day in California, right? And uh, what, what they mean by that is it's pretty it's it's pretty I don't want to use the word trivial but straightforward to try to perfect a technology if all you're dealing with is you know tightly controlled test fields and you know environmental conditions where it's ninety days of sun. Um, but you go to another region and you, you wind up with Saskatchewan wind or, you know, cloud cover in, uh, you know, in BC or, you know, the different soil conditions, lots of dust, um, all these types of things add a lot of variability and a lot of difficulty. And then probably the worst part about it, the single worst part about it, especially being up in Canada is that nature waits for nobody, right? So in our particular case with the product that we're releasing, which is a precision spraying drone for a field, um, you know, you have to have plants staged at the right time to spray the weeds. And if you don't have your stuff together um, and, you know, if you, there's a bug in your system and you can't fly, well, again, if you if you don't hit that two week window that you need to spray, well, better luck next year. Right. So it's it's a uh, it's a really, really uh, difficult industry to actually execute the tests that you need to prove those systems out. It's, it's exponentially harder than actually any other industry I've ever been in. I'm often told, being someone who's moved to this area, you can't substitute the experience of a farmer in the field. They can look at something and just straight out know this needs this, that needs that, and etc. Um, I've seen uh, systems previously in the technology space where they've used cameras to identify um, weeds and pests and and so on. Does that fit into this model somehow? Yeah, yeah, but we're, we're putting it on steroids and taking it about two orders of magnitude to the next level. Um, so, <laughs> so, so traditionally what happens is, you, is, you know, the drone industry and agriculture is relatively mature. You know, you fly your drones up in the air and you get your fancy cameras on there and they take images of your field and, uh, you know, can provide some analysis on them and then, uh, you know, and then produce these, you know, what we refer to as, you know, pretty maps uh, that you have over to the farmer. Uh, the problem is, is that the farmer looks at these pretty maps and says, hey, this looks great. Hey, what am I supposed to do with this? <laughs> right. So the link between the information that you're getting and the actual action that you have to take to see that return on investment is actually pretty sparse. Right. You've got to kind of figure out what to do on your own. Um, and then even in some cases, even if you do action that, let's say you've got a little bit more yield. Well, did you get more yield because you invested into that drone map or is it just because it rained more that year? Right. So you, you don't really have this direct connection between return on investment and the actual technology itself. And so where, where that all changes with what we're doing um, is, is uh, we're actually putting the sea and the spray on the drone itself. Um, so what ends up what ends up happening is you've got, uh, you know, a system that can actually fly over a field, identify what's weed and crop and precision spray only what's weeds and nothing else. And so your that AI actually is a tangible beneficial outcome that you can see from the moment that the drone lands. You can be like, yeah, actually, this sprayed my weeds, right? Um, so so now that that link to that return on investment is uh, is much closer. But it's uh, it's a again, it's a much 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 harder problem to solve doing that all in real time at high speed than it is in taking a picture and then doing it offline in the cloud somewhere. 
So it's closing the loop. It's bringing the information closer to the actuation of getting jobs done, which is where that experience would traditionally come in from a from a farmer. We, we, there's got to be clearly opportunities, even in the most efficient farms out there. There's got to be an opportunity for um, reduction in the use of of uh, spraying chemicals and and crop protection. In that sense, there's got to be you know economic savings and targeting. It's got to benefit that just from my layperson's point of view. Um, when you look at this from a or look further down the line to the customer point of view and then the customer's customer point of view, this has got a benefit in terms of food security, economics, and sustainability. So, so really, when you look went from that original idea that you had. And we'll talk about that in just a second and that journey to what you landed upon. Where did the point from, okay, this is the technology that we need to build and these are the people we need to listen to as to the need in the marketplace, actually go from that to the first pitch to go, hey, this is what we're thinking of doing? Um, so, so yeah, the, the, the benefits to your first point, the benefits are fairly staggering. Actually, it's uh, it's not a well-known fact, but um, like weed pressure in the field, as an example, only represents about five percent of the biomass of the field. Which means that using today's tech, um, you know, your big spraying machines that are out there, you're actually spraying an entire field to control five percent of that field. So you're operating at a ninety-five percent inefficiency, which is like economics that shouldn't be tolerated anywhere, right? It's it's insane. And you're blitzing everything with chemical and, you know, it's getting into the soil and it's getting into the food commodities. Um, and so our company actually has a project with Protein Industries Canada, who's the super cluster here in Saskatchewan, to actually use this AI technology to reduce the chemical load inside the food commodities for more sustainable crops that are actually healthier, um, you know, when we put them inside our bodies. So, so it's, a, it's a really interesting sustainability opportunity. And, you know, when it comes to pitching things, um, sustainability is very important now because as we all awaken to what we put inside our bodies, uh, there's a growing consumer demand that's out there for, you know, for healthier food and more sustainable agriculture. And so here's a way to not only save the farmers, you know, 95% of their crop input costs, which are huge amounts of money, but also on the other hand, to actually make the food we eat healthier. Um, and that's a pitch that's, you know, it's, it's pretty, pretty easy to make in this world that's, you know, looking to transition from the old inefficient ways we did things to a much more sustainable way of doing things. This has scalability you know, written all over it. I can see that um, in terms of you as a business, but also look at the geographies around the world where these opportunities absolutely present themselves. And I'm sure that going from a Saskatchewan to somewhere, you know, in the States to somewhere in Australia to somewhere in India, you know, the challenges are going to be different. The variables are going to be different. But the core technology is still going to be applicable regardless, surely. Yeah, well, that's that's exactly it. And, and the reason we did it from drones is, is for exactly that reason, right? Uh, so, so uh, you know, the, those big sprayer machines I talked about, um, you know, those things are very expensive. You know, you, it can be about $600,000. Uh, for that. And uh, part of the problem here is that, you know, if you've got a giant Saskatchewan farm, well, okay, that kind of pays for itself. But, you know, the, the vast majority of the world's farms, I think there's 570 million farms in the world. 
and about 560 million of those are tiny subsistence farms in countries like India and Africa and you know Indonesia and stuff like that, right? So you will never ever get a $600,000 sprayer onto a five-acre farm in India. Um, it's just not happening. So, so the problem that we have from a sustainability standpoint, and also from an economic equity standpoint, is that you know, kind of as these new precision ag technologies and the sustainable technologies come out, the rich get richer, and they just can't even apply economically to these small farms. So, what's exciting about what we're doing is we're saying by taking precision agriculture and putting it on an inexpensive drone, um, you can have uh, you know, a group of twenty to twenty-five farmers in India um, band their funds together and buy one drone and share it between all those farms. Right? So you can actually bring precision agriculture to the entire planet. So we can service those 570 million farms. Whereas if, you know, people who are focused on making the big machinery better, you're limiting yourself to, you know, like 1% of your market globally. And it's fascinating from the point of view of environmental impact also from the, from the case of, you know, these smaller geographies or the existing geographies won't need to grow exponentially for more and more farmland, which therefore has a knock on effect by actually making the soil health and making everything work more efficiently and being ultimately healthier. That's right. That's absolutely correct. Okay. I've teased this already. Um, a significant proportion of the people that listen to this very podcast are founders and potential founders and people who are on a journey. And sometimes I've spoken to people previously and they've had a real struggle when it comes to pivoting or leaving an idea, uh, putting pride aside um, to move on from the idea that wasn't the one that was going to move them forwards. You've done this. You've moved from one idea into this space. What was the process like as a founder to finally make that decision? And when do you know that it's time to do it? That's a great question. Um, I think you know. I think it's absolutely critical. There, there's very few companies actually out there that that the idea they, they originally start with is the idea that they finish with. Um, it, it's not only normal, but I would say healthy to you know go into it with one idea and always keep an open mind and an open heart by listening to your customer and listening to what they're actually telling you and not what you want to hear. Right. Um, so, so, you know, it's uh, it's always good to do that due diligence up front, even long before you build a product. I mean, one of the challenges that, that we have as founders or potential founders is we feel like we need the product before we talk to the customers. And going through this a few times on my own, it's actually quite the opposite. Um, you know, so for Precision AI as an example, just to test the waters to see if there actually was a market here. The first thing I did was I picked up the phone <laughs> and I called a bunch of farmers and I said, here's the concept. You know, if I could reduce your chemical load by 95% using drones and AI, would you buy this product? And all of them basically said, you know, you think you could do that? And I said, yeah. And they're like, I would buy that tomorrow because if you have any idea how much I spend on chemical every year, like this is a game changer for us. So I'm like, okay, right. Um, and then, but just to, because you don't want to get some confirmation bias, you also want to sort of test these things out as well. We actually 3D printed a drone and uh, got a booth at a trade show <laughs> and, uh, and just sort of wanted to organically see what, what happened there. And uh, we ended up getting, the booth ended up getting a massive amount of traffic and huge amounts of feedback. And so we knew that we were in, um, 
we were knew we were in, in really good shape. So, uh, so you know, by testing that market out initially, we knew that the subsequent investment we were going to take was going to be the right one. But Precision AI didn't even start out in agriculture. Uh, we actually, before that, it started as a totally different business. <laughs> um, and uh, so it uh, it started as a as a product to buy and sell stuff online. Uh, believe it or not. So we created an artificial intelligence system, me and this partner of mine. So so the story for, you know, for anybody who's heard me talk before, you may have heard the story already. But um, while I was working at my fintech company, like I've always been the type of personality that, uh, you know, that always needed to, that was always doing something, right? So before I was an entrepreneur, I renovated houses and I played guitar in a band. And, you know, I, I, the long story is, is over the course of a decade or so, I had a garage full of crap. <laughs> and, uh, you know, in Saskatchewan winters, my wife couldn't pull her vehicle into the garage. And uh, so I kind of got an ultimatum saying, you know, get rid of this stuff or I'll get rid of you. And so I said, okay, I get it. I, I, know, I know that one. I know that one. I, fe- I feel your pain. <laughs> yeah. So so I'm like, I get it. I get it. So this is a few years ago. And this is before the, uh, you know, this there was any viable smartphone apps to but like to list stuff online. You still had to like snap a picture with your phone and then go and like connect the cable and upload it to Craigslist or Kijiji or, you know, and type the description and figure out what these things are worth. And I'm, I'm like, I'm, I run a company. I don't have time for this. Like, this is not going to happen. So the idea popped into my head and I'm like, well, what if you could just like walk through your garage and snap a picture of something and it would use AI and image recognition to see what that was and like grab a listing off eBay, right? Because everything has been sold on eBay before. And if you can match the images up, you can scrape the listing and it will just write and post it for you. And I'm like, oh, that's actually a pretty good idea. So uh, so me, me and my partner started this started this out and it actually, uh, we built the prototype and it worked excellent for some product categories, right? Where there's a fairly high level of visual differentiation. And then there's a whole other class of products where it's like, you know, like one DVD player looks exactly like another one and it's really hard to know what it is. And so it's like, yeah, you know what? We could probably like keep our head down on this path and like, you know, punch through this and, you know, and spend a lot of money trying to figure this out. But then there was like, we looked at the competitive landscape and there was somebody else who just closed like a hundred million dollars that we thought was trying to get into the space. And we're just like, you know what? Like we could do this, but we should probably, it's actually prudent of us to like lick our wounds a little bit and say, no, no, no. Like what's, what's our chance of success here? Um, and that's where it's like, well, we spent all this time on an AI and we every time we tested this AI, we would snap a picture of the office plant because that was just what happened to be by. And, uh, and so that's when the light bulb went on and it's like, well, you know what, geez, we've got this AI thing here. You know, it's, it always seems we've been taking pictures of plants and it can always identify what the plant is. And we're in this huge agricultural center. It kind of makes sense to like do an ag in- implementation of this AI. And that's when the light bulb went off. And, and so we pivoted pretty hard into that and, it ended up being like 180 degrees opposite direction, but it ended up being the right call. I still think that there's a need in my garage for someone to just take <laughs> photos and do it for me. Honestly, so much stuff in there. However, on this, um, clearly being in an enormous agricultural center, it's beneficial for your organization to geographically be here, not only for the point of view that there's a sizable potential customer base, but also from the point of view of testing and relationship building, networking, etc., getting the story out there. Um, any temptation to move to a big tech center or is Saskatchewan the way to go for you? Well, you know, like the Charlie Munger always said, fish where the fish are. And and again, it's, you know, if you're talking about agriculture, it's, I think Regina is about a six hour drive from 70% of the arable land in Canada. Um, you can't throw a stone without hitting either a farmer or somebody who came from a farm or somebody who knows a farmer. 
it's actually the ideal location for the type of business that we're in. Um, the challenge, of course, is always is, you know, we're a small population center and finding like elite engineering talent for very, very challenging projects like what we're doing with AI computer vision and drones. We're kind of like the trifecta of hard. <laughs> um, and uh, and so that that's challenging. But uh, but, you know, you, you again, it's it's in, in my opinion, especially in the remote work world, it's, it's better to recruit talent somewhere else and stay where your customers are than the other way around. And in terms of, you know, looking further down the food chain, ultimately, this is going to potentially improve margin productivity in the business case for the farmers and the and the food goes. Um, but do you think that ultimately there could be some saving for consumers potentially? Oh, very much so. Um, the it's uh, well. It, if you reduce the input costs, so I mean, over over time, gravity also pulls the cost of production down, and therefore, like over time, these things pass on to the consumer, right? So, so it's you know, as an example, um, you know, like chemical inputs can represent like thirty percent of the cost uh, that the farmer puts into into going to the crop. So, if we can cut that down by massive amounts, right, eventually that will trickle down. But sort of more importantly, though, too, I think is 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 it's not so much the cost of food; it's the health of the food, right? If we can find ways of using less chemical. Uh, like this stuff does leach into the food, right? I mean, it's it's been proven that there's trace residue levels of all the chemicals that are sprayed on the field of the food. Now, that being said, um, according to science, they're safe, right? And and I don't dispute that. I think they are. But but it's you know what's happened is is we don't really care what the science says so much. We just don't want any pesticides in our food at all, right? Um, and so so I think uh, you know everybody would prefer, if given the chance of having trace chemical residues or no chemical residues, people would offer no chemical residues. And, and so technologies like this is what can enable that to happen. It's a fascinating story and an amazing journey. And I'm so glad that you're here. Uh, Dan, uh, how could people find out more information about you and Precision AI? Uh, well, easiest way is to you know, use Dr. Google or to uh, yeah, just go to our website at httpprecision.ai. Dan, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Startupville is brought to you by Innovation Place, helping grow the tech sector in Saskatchewan, Canada, and is produced in partnership with Martin Charlton Communications at wetellyourstories.ca. Our show is produced by me, Ariel Delorier, and our host, Dan Gold. Our theme music is from GG Riggs and Reactor Productions. Find out more about us and our guests at innovationplace.com slash startupville. And follow us on Facebook and Twitter at StartupvillePod. Remember to subscribe and review wherever you listen to podcasts. It really helps us rise up the ranks. See you next time on Startupville.